Hey listeners, quick question. Are you tired of overpaying for your mobile plan? I've got the answer. Ting Mobile. Ting Mobile is all about flexibility and savings. You only pay for what you use, no crazy fees or overages. It's perfect for those who want control over their phone bill without sacrificing quality. Say goodbye to bloated phone bills. Go to foxcitiesmm.com slash ting. Ting Mobile. Mobile that makes sense. You're listening to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem, your bi-weekly dose of true crime history in a small rural community of Wisconsin. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. I'm Eric Waltikins. I'm Gavin Schmidt. Gavin, I think we can talk about the uh, the excitement of what has happened on the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Should we give a little plug for that? Yeah, go for it. So, recently... We kind of stepped away from the mafia for a brief moment, and one of our listeners reached out to us and was a former member of the Latin Kings of Milwaukee. So we're doing a special four-part episode all about his experiences in the Latin Kings in Milwaukee. So we recommend if you're not a listener of the Milwaukee Mafia podcast, please check that out because it is an amazing, amazing story. Yeah, as we're recording this, the first one's already dropped. So by the time this gets uh, this goes live, a few of them will probably, probably be out yep. there already. Yep. <clears throat> All right, cool. Well, what do you got for us in the Fox Cities? Well, at your request. Oh, that's right. I can't remember what I requested. Though. I have an Oshkosh Asylum story. Oh, Oshkosh Asylum is good. Yeah. So. All right, well, jump right into it. Okay, so this is about a man named William Borum, and maybe his name is not Borum, maybe it's Barum or something else, but I'm going to say Borum, and we'll just go with it. That sounds good to me. Okay. He worked from 1968 to 1975 as a consultant and administrator for United Comprehensive Care in Oak Brook, Illinois. He then worked for five years as a director of the Rock County Mental Health Center in Janesville. He had also worked for the Mission of Our Lady of Mercy in Chicago. He then moved up to the Milwaukee area where he married his wife, Diane. And then he gets a job in 1979 as the director of the Lake County Health Department in Waukegan, Illinois. Just a few months after that, he only has a few months, and he gets a job at the Oshkosh Asylum. And you're going to wonder why I ran through his his uh, resume, but there's a reason I did that. So, Well, we will wait in suspense for that reason. So he's a hired on around 1979 at the Oshkosh Asylum, which officially is the Winnebago Mental Health Institute. But I'm just going to say Oshkosh Asylum because that's what it used to be called, and everybody knows what that is. He was a very qualified candidate. He had attended Cornell University. He obtained his master's degree in business administration. And he was ready on day one to run the 300-patient mental health center, one of the state's three mental hospitals. The other two are in Madison and Waupon. <laughs> Good side note. Yes. <laughs> he earned a salary of $42,000, which I thought sounded kind of low. But when I did the adjustment, it's actually 147000 Yeah, today. I was going to say, if it's 1979, that does not sound bad at all. Yeah, so that's actually pretty okay. He was the first director of the asylum in 
the asylum's 100-year history that was not actually a medical doctor. Hmm. So he was his background was in business and not in medical stuff. But by most accounts, he did a very good job. Some members of the state government began to make rumblings about converting part of the mental health center into a medium-security prison. But he pushed back. He said that would be solving a correctional problem at the expense of the mental health patient. He attended high-level meetings to start this fight to stop them from merging. He worked to solve crowding problems at the hospital. He negotiated with Mendota, that's the Madison uh, Asylum. He tried to find the best home for the patients that were overflow patients without kicking them back out on the streets. Part of the problem, he told the media, was that large numbers of court-designated criminally insane residents were being mixed with patients who were only under psychiatric observation. This was causing conflicts and overflow and all kinds of stuff because uh, some people are in the asylum because they did something very bad, um, while a large number of them are just people who have, you know, run-of-the-mill mental health issues that aren't really a problem, but they need a little help. This mixture of criminal and non-criminal generates client complaints, with some saying their patient rights are being violated, he said. Okay, up to this point, we've got this guy. He's got a nice resume. Um, he's fighting for his patients. Everybody says he's doing a good job. He's earning a good living. He's got a nice wife, apparently. I mean, I don't know. Maybe she's terrible. <laughs> but, but you know, he's he's married and stuff. Then things take a turn. <laughs> I was going to say, like, we, we are going to have some, like, mayhem in this, at least, right? Yes. January 2nd, 1981, William Borum, the director of the asylum, was busted in Lyons, Illinois, which is kind of near Chicago, for molesting an 11-year-old boy. Similar accusations against him began trickling in from Racine and Milwaukee. Every accusation was the same. They said he would wander neighborhoods with a dog leash, saying that he couldn't find his dog. And he would try to find a sympathetic boy, usually age 10 to 12, who could help him find his dog. But there was no dog. Entering his fingerprints into the database revealed another secret. And this announcement came on January 14th, 1981. The greatest day in American history. Why, why is that the greatest day in American history? It's the day I was born. <laughs> <laughs> The state administrator of uh, community services, which apparently oversees these mental health facilities, he said, we're firing William Borum. We're not firing him for the thing with the boys. That's a whole other thing. We're firing him because after he ran his fingerprints, we found out that he is not actually William Borum. He is another person entirely. <laughs> We're firing him for the knowing, willful, and deceitful falsification of an application for state employment, for falsification of his work record, and previous employment experience. So, was William Borum was a real person? The guy that they just hired wasn't actually the real William Borum? Is that... Something like that, yes. Interesting. Borum was actually Raymond Matzker a man who had assumed the identity of a former classmate nearly 10 years earlier so he could escape charges of molesting a boy in New York, where he was still wanted. He then used this identity to take on jobs that he was not qualified for. The real William Borum was actually the vice president of a bank in San Francisco. 
They had been friends with each other many, many years ago when the two were classmates in New York. After Matzker's arrest, the real Borum told news reporters that he hadn't even seen Matzker since they graduated in 1966. So he's like, I have no idea why he picked my name. <laughs> An editorial in the Green Bay Press Gazette at the time actually said that they can't place blame on the state's hiring practices. A lot of people, that was their immediate thing was like, oh, your background check failed. <laughs> they said, no, no, no. And here's a, here's a tie-in to an earlier episode. Short of truth serum, we don't know how the state could have done more, the editorial said. Stung once, state interviewers will certainly be more suspicious in the future. But of course, you don't take a truth serum at a job interview. I want to, before you start going any further, I want to clarify something. Mm -hmm. So, this guy, who is not William Borum, mm -hmm. but he was the person that was working in all these other mental hospitals. He was. Okay, so he just assumed this name before he ever had a job and just decided to go into this field and... And under yep. this false name. Okay. Yep. So they went back and, you know, at this point they went back and they checked his previous employment record. And the earliest place on his resume where he said he worked from 1968 to 75 was fake. It wasn't even a real company. He invented it completely. But everything else after that, Janesville, Waukegan, all that, he really did work at all those places under a fake name. And it name. was him. And it, and was, it was him. It wasn't the real it, William. Right. Okay. It was It was this guy using the fake name and credentials this whole time. So by the time he got to Oshkosh, I mean, when they called and ran background checks, obviously, yeah. even if they didn't do the whole, you know, thing, they're at least going to call your previous employer. Yeah, right. And they're going to be like, yeah, you did a good job. Mm -hmm. So it's really, I, I have to say, yeah, it's not really Oshkosh's fault at this point because no, yeah. he's been – working his way up the system for a while. So it seems like Matzker had kind of a scam going early on with another man named John McGovern, and they would use each other as references on their <laughs> job applications, listing each other as their supervisors. So when they would apply for jobs, their previous employment employer would have the phone number of this other guy, and John McGovern would say, yeah, 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 Borum's great. And Matzker, as Borum, would say, oh, yeah, John McGovern's great. So they both ended up getting into the mental health field, neither of which were well, qualified to do so. This is incredible. Yeah. You know, and that could work, man. I yeah. mean, even today that might work, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> hopefully it got a little better. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, they did, they did more background checking. They found out that, yeah, the college degree he said he had, he never had. Um, so that was fake. Just all kinds of trouble. And apparently, the first time they tried it, it actually failed. He he tried to apply – well, he actually succeeded in applying um, at a religious mission for runaways and orphans in Chicago. That was his first job that he had. But he was soon fired from that because they didn't like the way he acted around <laughs> the children. They couldn't prove he actually did anything, but they thought that he was weird and creepy. So. Which he probably, which he was, which he, which <laughs> he was. I, evidence shows he probably was. Which he very was. Weird. So even if he didn't do anything, they actually they caught on. They they were right. And there was definitely more than likely a reason he went for that job as well. Yeah, it's possible. It's certainly possible. 
the entire time he worked for Oshkosh, he was never a bad employee or anything. No. Right? He, it seems like he did a very good job at his actual job that right. he was not qualified to do at all. Yeah. It's, everybody said that he did a great job. He was really good with the patients. Um, some of the staff members said that he was a little um, – he would get a little bossy sometimes. But that was like their worst complaint. Blaine. Yeah. They talked to Robert Owens, a clinical psychologist for Rock County and one of his previous employers. He had administered tests to the man applying under Borum's name to become director of that healthcare center. He told the media, this is after he got busted, he told the media that the job in Rock County uh, was given to him because he was the best applicant for the job. It's like his resume was good. He got good recommendations. And the guy said, well, even now that I know that he's not the real guy, whoever the hell he is, I'm quoting here, whoever the hell he is, he's still the best manager we ever had. <laughs> Owen said that he found no abnormal personality traits when they had run their tests. Quote, unless it affected management, I couldn't say because my mandate wasn't to look at his total psychological profile. In essence, nobody asked me if he raped little boys, so I didn't look for that. <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't really laugh about that but that's literally what he said to the press well and he's right because like why would you right you know? right another person in rock county said quote he was bizarre i don't know how else to describe him he always seemed like he was trying to hide something that's the worst complaint that that person had and again this is after he got busted so you know maybe it's in retrospect um another co-worker in rock county um, said that he thought it was kind of strange that when he took over the job, he changed the locks on a number of things, but that was the weirdest thing they could think of. Said otherwise, he was brilliant. He was kind of strange. He had some sick humor about him, but he was brilliant. So that's the worst that person could say. Uh, long story short, after all of these uh, arrests for whatever it is exactly he did, I don't know the details and I probably wouldn't want to say them anyway. But whatever it was, he ends up getting sentenced to 10 years in Wapan State Prison. That doesn't sound like a very long time. It for, doesn't sound like a very long time. child molestation. That seems like that would be pretty severe. Yeah. How many, how many counts did he get charged with? I don't know what the total was, but originally it was four. Okay. So I don't know if any got dropped or added, but originally it was four. Now, he did get – this is this is kind of to your point of he got off too light. After he got out, the state pushed for a new law, which is called Sexual Predator Law Chapter 980. That's the excitement, exciting <laughs> law name. Um, still on the books. You can look it up under the state statutes, Chapter 980. It was passed in 1994 by Governor Tommy Thompson. And basically what it did was gave – local authorities more power to not allow predators into their community. And you had to meet a really high bar. Um, as, as I'm sure most people know, when people are released back into the community, you get the notice that, hey, this guy's moving into your city, and mm -hmm. then everybody gets upset about it. But, you know, got to go somewhere. Apparently, if you hit a high enough bar, a city can refuse to take you. And so this guy was like the poster child for that. They were like, yeah, we want a law so that this guy could never live in a city again. And apparently, it worked so well that it forced him back into committing crime because he couldn't get a job anywhere. He couldn't live anywhere. He ended up back in the prison, and he ultimately did die 
back in the prison. So, do, do you know what kind of crimes he, like, once he got out, was he just cre- committing, like, petty crimes to get money, or was he... I had a really hard time finding out. I'm not sure, because it's it's there's, like, this big gap between the time he gets out and the time he goes back in. I know he goes back in, and I know he's the subject of this law that's blocking him from being able to live places, but... The newspapers were especially vague about what it was that he was doing. So I don't know. Like, it doesn't give me the impression that he went back out and started touching kids again. But whatever it was, it was bad enough to get him back. I mean, it could have just been probation violations. I don't know. But he was, he went back in and he did finally end up dying in prison. And then you probably do not know this answer, but I think it's an obvious question that should be asked. Mm -hmm. So with this law that they passed in 1994 that prevented him from being able to essentially live anywhere, yeah, have they revised this law since then so that it would there would never be a person that just couldn't live anywhere? I don't think so. To him? I don't think so. I, as far as I know, the law is more or less intact. And I mean, this is it's not that you just can't live anywhere. It's just the city can push harder we'll not to. Um, you know, like most most of the time, the law is like you can't live within a thousand feet of a school or whatever. And this allowed for the cities to make stronger rules about that. So I don't know exactly how high of a bar you had to hit because originally when it passed, it was only this guy and one other guy who qualified. So it must have been pretty bad if they could only find two Ooh, guys, guys in the state. <laughs> that- yeah. <laughs> But yeah, and there's, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's more to the story that I wasn't able to find. Like, I know there's a pretty hefty record on him in Madison because he was a state employee and he was a state employee at the time that he was caught. So I didn't, I did not have time to go down to Madison and get the file, but who knows what's in there because they had to go through the whole firing process and this and that. And who knows what kind of weird stuff they dug up on that. So. Yeah, I think there's more to this, but... Kind of outworking for, like, what, 15 years, probably, when he finally got arrested in... Yeah. in While he was working at Oshkosh. Something like that. I mean, you've got to imagine that... I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but these people don't just one day pick up these habits. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. You know, like, he must have been doing this for that entire 15-year span. So, the amount of people that probably he harmed is just an alarming and terrifying oh you know i i couldn't say that but yeah you would you would assume because yeah he so he he came to the illinois wisconsin area because he fled new york for the same thing because he was wanted for molesting children there and then he came here and apparently he didn't get caught for like a good 10 years here but yeah as you're saying that doesn't mean he didn't do anything for 10 years like that's sad that Yeah. And the other thing that is just shocking about the story is that you would think a person like this you would there would be some tell sign. But I mean mm-hmm. other than this one thing that he tended to do, it sounded like people thought he was a pretty stand up guy. Yeah. And that's just also very creepy to me. It is it is creepy, but you know, I don't think that's unusual. Yeah. I mean this is Child molestation may be one of the worst topics we've ever done on here. Um, but I think I think they are normal people most of the time. And a lot of times they're, you know, they have positions of authority and and everybody respects them. So 
it, that is kind of the creepy thing. I mean, because, you know, if you're not a child, they're going to treat you like they treat anybody else. So you don't see that side of it. And it's also very scary that we do a lot of stuff way back in the day where yeah. people are using fake names and stuff like that. And where you're like, well, they didn't really have a good system right. in place that they could really check that and really know. But this, this is this a story that is not that far long ago. It's not that long ago. And he still was able to do it. Yeah, he, he was would, able to falsify his entire identity in the, in the 70s. 70s. Yeah. That's pretty good. Which I'm sure it's easier to was easier to do in the 70s than it is now, but still. <laughs> it's like I would have thought it would have came a long way where it wouldn't be very easy. Yeah, well, that, that was the thing. The article after he had passed was basically people saying, there's no way that this would ever happen today. And, and of course, then you're like, well, would it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Until it does. Until it know? does. Yeah. But, but yeah, the, I, I, not that I've ever tried to fake ID, but I feel like it's definitely much harder than it, it used, used to, to be. be. Yeah. But still, I would have thought that it would still have been pretty hard back then. You'd think so. But, <laughs> all right. Well, I think, do you got anything else for this one? No, that's about. It's a pretty straightforward story. A guy who works his way up, uh, gets respected, gets in charge of one of the major state hospitals, and turns out to be not who he Oops, says he, he is, is, and a complete creep. Yeah, <laughs> got a lot of bad going for him. So. Yeah. All right, then we'll wrap this episode up. As usual, if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player, and we will be back in two weeks with another episode. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Join us in two weeks for another exciting episode of Murder and Mayhem.